All right, everyone. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12 tonight. Habakkuk chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Listen, I want to ask, for, you're, you're going to be sort of the first uh, test group, okay? And I want to ask you a question tonight, and I, I really, there's no, there's no correct answer. I, I, I don't care if you guys go, no, that's not something I think I'd be interested in at all. Because I, I want to do this only if I feel it's going to resonate, okay? Only if I feel... You know, this is something that, say, church-wide and maybe even community-wide, you know, if, even if we were able to maybe print off some postcards or something, we could, we could bring in other people. So here, here's what I'm thinking. I am, I am not waiting around for, for the building to be built anymore. We're going to start doing some of the things that I wanted to do when the building was built now. We're just, God's moving. He's working. We're not going to wait anymore. So anyway, one of the ideas that I had was this fall after everybody sort of settles in after, you know, summer vacations and everybody's back to school, uh, I know many of you have already uh, taken my son's class on how to study the Bible or how to get more out of your Bible study. And it was like a Saturday seminar. And we're actually going to offer that again sometime this fall because he's actually revamped the whole thing. So even if you took it, it's going to be, it's going to have a totally different feel than it did the last time. But with that said, I was thinking about doing a Saturday seminar from like 10 o'clock in the morning to 11.30. They'd take an hour break for lunch from 11.30 to 12.30 and then from 12.30 to 2. So it'd only be like four hours. I say only four hours. And teach the book of Revelation in one day. If you would be interested in something like that, would you raise your hand? Again, don't raise your hand if it's like, because it's honestly, if it's not something that you think you would come to, then I don't, I don't want to, you would come to it. All right. All right. So I think that that's what, and then what I'd like to do is follow up that Saturday with a Sunday prophetic message uh, on that, that Sunday following that, that Saturday. Um, so that's something that I'm, I'm going to probably uh, start putting together. And uh, probably be asking for some of your all's help because we want to we want to promote this. Uh, we're going to obviously have to think about lunch and what we do for that. Uh, there's also going to be probably a nominal registration fee just because we're going to have some handouts and resources as well. So I just wanted to throw that out to you tonight. All right, we are in Habakkuk chapter two, beginning at verse twelve tonight, and this is the chapter where God is responding to the prayer and plea of Habakkuk when God informs Habakkuk, I am bringing justice. I'm going to raise up and empower these Babylonians to come in and basically to judge my people and bring them to their knees because I want to draw them back to me. And it's going to take something drastic. It's going to take uh, some humiliation. It's going to take some breaking them down and getting them off their high horse in order for them to come back and start looking to me again. But Habakkuk is really troubled by this. He's like, God, I, I don't understand your choice of them. They're worse than we are. The instrument of judgment is worse than the sickness to begin with. Why are you doing this? Why did you choose them? And so God comes back and beginning uh, in chapter 2, he says, well, first of all, Habakkuk, let me tell you this. Everything that the Babylonians do that's wrong and wicked and evil, it's not like they're going to get away with anything. 
In fact, as we see the biblical principle, a man reaps what he sows. Everything that they sow that is wicked and evil and wrong and all of that, they're going to get payback for it, you see. They're going to have consequences for their behavior. So they're not getting away with anything. I'm a just God. And just as I'm going to be just with you, I'm going to be just with them as well. By the way, their reign as the world power is actually going to be one of the shortest lived uh, on the planet. They're only going to be uh, ruling and reigning for about 70 years. Very short before I raise up the Medes and the Persians to come in and uh, take over. So then we saw last week where as God continues to answer Habakkuk, he's saying, look, I'm going to use the Babylonians as my instrument to bring my people back to me. But he says, I also want to teach by using them as well. I want my people to learn something from them about, again, what not to do, if you will. Because I want my people to start living by faith. And obviously the Babylonians are not living by faith. And so I want to show you their pathway so that my people can go, okay, we need to do just the opposite. So we saw last week that true satisfaction only comes through faith in God alone. And that true security only comes through faith in God alone. And tonight, we're going to see two other ways to live by faith, that high-altitude mountain-climbing faith. That is learning that true accomplishment in life only comes by faith in God alone. And true honor in life only comes by faith in God alone. Follow along with me as I read verses 12, 13, and 14 tonight, where we talk about true accomplishment comes through faith alone. God says to Habakkuk, speaking about the Babylonians here, the one who builds a city by bloodshed is as good as dead. He who starts a town or establishes a town by unjust deeds. Be sure of this. The Lord who commands armies has decreed the nation's efforts will go up in smoke. Their exhausting work will be for nothing for recognition of the Lord's sovereign majesty will fill the earth just as the waters fill up the sea. Now listen. God created us to accomplish things. He did. He created us for our life to have meaning and purpose and to to make a difference and to mean something when we were created. There's nothing wrong with that. It was the means by which the Babylonians went about seeking to accomplish something that was wrong. Not the fact that they wanted to accomplish something. The desire for accomplishment is God-given. In fact, God commands us to have an impact on our world. Listen to some of these verses, and I'll give you the references. Genesis 1.28. God said to Adam and Eve, Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that uh, moves on the ground. We talked a little about that on Sunday, how God made us to rule and reign. Then Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, good works means our life has purpose, meaning we're making a difference. We're accomplishing something. And then we must consider the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 
where Jesus says, I gave to this person two talents, and I gave to this person five talents, and I gave to this person one talent, and I want you to go, and I want you to use the talents that I gave you. I want to, you to invest in those talents. I want you to engage your talents in the world around you, and I want you to multiply them. I want you to accomplish something with your life. And so the end of the parable, they all come back, the person settles the accounts, and the person who came back with five talents said, I've gained five more. And Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You accomplished something with the talents that I gave you. The one with two came back and said, I've multiplied my two into four. And Jesus again said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've accomplished something. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But the one who had one talent went and hid it. Did nothing with it did not accomplish anything with the talents and abilities and resources and opportunities and all of that that God gave him. And therefore, he was not commended by the Lord. In fact, he was rebuked by the Lord and chastened by the Lord and disciplined by the Lord. See, we were made to accomplish something. But, here it is. Living by faith is How do I want to say this? Accomplishing something when we are living by faith is to live for the glory of God. That's where we make a difference. That's where we will find fulfillment and meaning in life because that's what God intended. Look at verse 14. God's plan was always to fill the earth with His glory. Glory as the object of honor, reverence, and glorifying. The recognition of the Lord's sovereign majesty or glory will fill the earth. I've said before, glory is also defined as God displaying who He really is. We could say that His glory is His excellence and His magnificence made visible. In fact, that's why Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays His handiwork. Day after day, it speaks out. Night after night, it reveals His greatness. Wow! Think about it. God is, in a sense, through creation, is screaming to all of humanity about His greatness and His glory. And yet, how many human beings live on planet Earth and never really give God or His glory a thought? Because they don't even believe that God created it all to begin with. They attribute it to some other means of creation. And so, it's important that you and I realize that living by faith is living for the glory of God. Of God. Listen to Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God speaking through Isaiah Bring my sons from distant lands and my daughters from the remote regions of the earth. Everyone who belongs to me, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, yes, whom I made. God said in his word, I created human beings for my glory. So that my magnificence, my greatness, my excellence could be seen through them. Think about that awesome thought that God has designed us that even as sinful human beings, 
people can see His glory in us. That's amazing to think you and I as human beings can somehow even reflect His glory and bring Him glory. But that's the way He designed it. And God is saying through the prophet Habakkuk, here's where the Babylonians went wrong. They sought to accomplish something in life and get the glory for it, rather than give me the glory for it. And God says, when that happens, that glory doesn't last. But if a person lives for my glory rather than their own glory, that accomplishment will be for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do everything for the glory of God. Everything, including a mundane thing like eating and drinking. And even Christians go, how can I bring glory to God in my eating and drinking? Well, think through that. I think right off the bat, one way is to pause before we even eat and thank God for our food. To, to acknowledge where it comes from. That's one way to bring God glory in our eating and drinking. And there are many other ways. But God says, everything in life that I do should be done for His glory. And when I do that, when I live that way, that will be a life of accomplishment. Not living for my own glory, but living for His. Now, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 2, notice another thing the Babylonians didn't do right. They not only sought to accomplish something in this life by bringing glory to themselves, they sought to accomplish something at the expense of others. The one who builds a city by bloodshed is as good as dead. You see, they sought, like many people today, to accomplish something by, in a sense, stepping on others to get there. By running over others to accomplish something. And God says, nope. That will happen for a while. That will be short-lived, but that won't last. I will not permit accomplishment that is at the expense of others to last. Just like I will not permit accomplishment where people are trying to seek their own glory to last. It will not. It will not. Now notice this also. I've always been fascinated by this. And I wanted to share it with you tonight. In verse 13 of chapter 2, God says to the prophet Habakkuk, Be sure of this, the Lord who commands armies has decreed this nation's efforts, the Babylonians, will go up in smoke. I want to go back to that phrase in the net, the Lord who commands armies. It's literally the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. And we've heard that term before. And, and many people have just defined God as the Lord of hosts as that He is the Lord of angel armies. We even sing, there's even a song about the God of angel armies. But it is so much more than that. And I want to show you that tonight. Keep your finger in the back. It can go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. And especially if you have a net Bible tonight, you'll see this right away. In, in Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. 
And you'll notice in your net Bible, there's a little A there after the word them. And you go down to the note and it shows you that in the Hebrew, it literally means all the host of them. It's the same word that is used in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 13. He is the Lord of hosts. So what's that mean? It means he's the Lord of everything in creation. Everything in the universe is at God's disposal to use. Everything. There is nothing that God cannot use. From the smallest of subatomic particles to the largest star that is bigger than our whole galaxy. God can use it all. You think in the Bible. God used oceans and seas to accomplish His will. He used a donkey to speak. He... He can use anything and everything. He can use the smallest of creatures. He can use an ant. Or he can use a mountain to accomplish his purposes. When the Bible tells us that God is the Lord of hosts, it simply means that everything from creation, everything in the universe is at God's disposal to use. That means even the bacteria in our body, the molecules that make us up. The protons, neutrons, electrons, all, all those little particles are all at his disposal as well. Everything. Everything. That's even why when we pray for healing to God, we know that he knows what bacteria or disease or illness is in there because all that is part of his creation as well. Our blood. Everything. It's all part of him being the Lord of hosts. And the reason then he's telling Habakkuk this is he's saying, I can accomplish anything I want to at any time because I have everything at my disposal to do it. And I can use anything and everything. And if I want to use the Babylonians in my wisdom, I think that's the best choice to use. I will use it. I will use whatever it takes, but I will make sure that whatever I have decreed, it will come. Which is why he says to Habakkuk then, if you go back to Habakkuk 2.13, be sure of this. And we can be sure of it because, again, he is the Lord who commands armies. He is the Lord of hosts. I love what God says. He says, their exhausting work will be for nothing. All the glory of Babylon came to nothing, including the great hanging gardens of Babylon that they say was just unbelievably beautiful and magnificent, and yet nothing. Didn't last, did it? Because it was for the glory of man, because it was at the expense of others. In fact, keep your finger there in Habakkuk and go to Daniel with me real quick. I want you to see this even from the Babylonian time. Daniel chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king uttered these words, Daniel 4.30, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal residence by my own mighty strength and for my majestic honor? Here's another mistake that the Babylonians made. Not only did they do it for their glory, not God's, not only did they do it at the expense of others, but they did it in their own power. Did you see that with Nebuchadnezzar? These are the things that I have built with my own mighty strength. The things that will last and be accomplished in, throughout eternity and will last throughout eternity are the things that we do in the power of God, 
not in our own strength alone. Another mistake that the Babylonians made. Let's move on. Verse 31. While these words were still on the king's lips, a voice came down from heaven. It is hereby announced to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom has been removed from you. You will be driven from human society and you will live with the wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen and seven periods of time will pass by for you before you understand that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to whomever He wishes. I'm in control, Nebuchadnezzar, not you. I raise up, I tear down, I exalt, I humble. You have sought to accomplish And it's good to want to accomplish something with your life. Again, that is a God-given desire. But here's the thing. True accomplishment for us comes by faith alone. And what does that mean? That means that we are doing everything for the glory of God, not for our own glory. It means we are doing what we do in His power, not in ours alone. And it means we certainly don't try to accomplish things at the expense of others like the Babylonians. That's high-altitude faith. I mean, when you think about it, do everything for the glory of God. No wonder, he says then in verse 14 of Habakkuk chapter 2, for recognition... That's what God wants us to recognize His glory. Recognition of the Lord's sovereign majesty or glory will one day fill the earth just as the waters fill up the sea. You and I want to accomplish something in life? We want to be fulfilled. We want to find meaning and purpose to our lives. Then God says, live for my glory. Even whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That will accomplish something. Now let me say this to encourage you. You know what that means? That means that if we are simply living to bring glory to God, then we don't have to worry about the results. We leave the results up to God. Because if we didn't do that, then again, I'm going to use an example from the Bible, then Noah would have been a failure from a human perspective on accomplishing something. Because he built this great ship and never got one other person other than his family members on that boat. And yet the Bible says he preached for 120 years. And the Bible tells us he wasn't a bad preacher. The Bible tells us, in fact, Noah was a really good preacher, but he never got anyone to respond and get on the boat besides his own family. Did God consider Noah a failure? No. Why? Because Noah lived for the glory of God. He obeyed God. He did what God told him to do. And therefore, he brought God glory even in the building of an ark, in the animals coming on, and in no one else but his family coming on that boat, Noah brought God glory. 
One of the reasons why Noah brought God glory is because Noah was an example to his unbelieving generation that he believed in the word of God and therefore he was moved to build this ark that everyone was laughing at him while he was building it because they didn't think judgment was ever going to come and they certainly didn't think this rain thing was going to come and so they laughed and they mocked at Noah for 120 years and for 120 years he just continually faithfully built and finished finish that ark under the direction of God. That's bringing God glory. So I want to share that with you because many times you may think, think, I'm not accomplishing anything because you're simply looking at things the way men look at things. Big crowds, big response, all these different things. And God says, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with bringing me glory. But if you bring me glory... By simply doing what I've told you to do in my power and not at the expense of others. Then the next point. True honor comes from faith in God alone. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17. And he's using again the Babylonians. And part of it is this. One of the reasons why the Babylonians were not going to get any honor in history was because they sought honor through disgracing and bringing down others. Notice verse 15. You force your neighbor to drink wine, or you who force your neighbor to drink wine are as good as dead. You who make others intoxicated by forcing them to drink from the bowl of your furious anger, so you can look at their genitals, but you become drunk with shame not majesty. Now it is your turn to drink and expose your uncircumcised foreskin. The cup of wine in the Lord's right hand is coming to you and disgrace will replace your majestic glory for you will pay in full for your violent acts against Lebanon. Terrifying judgment will come upon you because of the way you destroyed the wild animals living there. You have shed human blood and committed violent acts against lands, cities, and those who live in them. Therefore, there will be no honor for you. Now, it might not be to this degree. But again, we live in a world today that is prevalent where people seek honor and seek to elevate themselves over others by putting others down, by disgracing them, by making them look bad so that I can look good. That's really the essence here of what God is saying. And God is saying there will never be honor from me and everlasting honor at all for anyone who seeks their own honor by, in a sense, stepping all over and and insulting and disgracing and bringing down others in, in order to make themselves look good. God has never honored that at all. Living by faith is seeking honor from God alone. It is never seeking to be influenced by the honor, praise, or recognition of men. Ooh. Now that doesn't mean that you and I should not seek to have a a good testimony and to have a good report given, but it's sort of the heart motivation. Am I doing what I'm doing because I want the praise of men? I want to be honored by men. I want to be recognized by men. Or do I care more about the honor of God and the recognition of God 
Is that the number one thing? Because God is saying here in this passage, if a human being is honored by everyone in the world, but I don't think they should be honored, then does it really mean anything? Is that honor that they're given on earth by people going to last? No, not at all. So that's why God says to his people, living by faith is simply seeking to live where you are seeking my honor, my well done, my recognition, and not primarily anyone else's. Now let me share this. This might come as a surprise to many of you. But God promises us honor and glory. Again, it's not that we shouldn't seek it because God gave us that desire to seek honor and glory. Again, like the Babylonians, it's just, it's the wrong means to go about it. Listen to these verses. Jesus says, John 12, 26, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. God wants to honor people. Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6, And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Then listen to this verse out of Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fearing the Lord is riches and honor and life. See, God promises to honor those that do it the right way. Now, some Christians have said, well, Jeff, if we just, we don't think about it and that's not our aim or our goal, then I, 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 can, I can get on board with that. I want to share a verse with you that I think will contradict that. It actually teaches us that we should seek these things. Romans 2, verses 6 and 7 says, He will reward each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persevering in good works, listen, seek glory and honor and immortality. Did you get that last phrase? Seek glory and honor and immortality. God says there's nothing wrong with that. But, let's make sure, unlike the Babylonians, that we are seeking honor and praise from God alone. Again, let me repeat. Never seek or be influenced by the honor, praise, or recognition of men. This was the Pharisees' problem in Jesus' day. They were more concerned about the praise of men than they were the praise of God. So that's why they were so focused on externals. Because all they wanted to do was put on a show. And here's what God is saying through the Babylonians. You can put on a show and you can fool every other human being and you can go through your whole life where people think, oh my goodness, you're just so awesome and you're so great. But when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, it's all going to be exposed because I know the motives of your heart and I know it was all just a sham and you will get no honor from me. Nothing. 
All your stuff will be burned up, 1 Corinthians 3, and nothing will last beyond my judgment. So God is saying to us, I want you to seek to accomplish something with your life. That's why I created you the way I did. I want you to do something with your life. But make sure that you understand that true accomplishment is found in giving glory to God, in doing things in His power and in not at the expense of others. And then God gives us a desire to seek honor and glory, but not from other people, but from Him. So that one day we would hear from Him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Listen to some of these verses again. Ephesians 6-7 Obey with enthusiasm as though serving the Lord and not people. This again is one of the reasons why so many Christians even struggle in Christian service and why they get burned out and why they get discouraged because they are primarily in it not really to serve others and not to serve God. They're in it for themselves. They're in it to seek recognition and praise from people. And when they don't get it or get it as much as they think they should, guess what? Their ministry begins to fail because they're looking to others to again fill what only God... God says, look, you do what I'm calling you to do. I'll honor you. I'll exalt you whether anybody else does or not. And isn't it more important what I think about you than what anybody else thinks about you? Isn't that the ultimate honor? Is when God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, every other human being could say, wow, you're amazing. But what does God think? What will God's evaluation be? That is what Habakkuk was learning here and what the whole nation of Israel would learn through the bad example of the Babylonians. Another verse, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not for people. If you and I get up every day and go, I'm ultimately doing what I'm doing for the Lord. And one day, I want to hear Him say to me, well done. Then it's really not going to matter what anyone else, what everybody else thinks. And I'm not going to be held back by what anyone else thinks either. I'm going to just do what God tells me to do. If I get some pats on the back and encouragement and all of that, great. That's gravy. But the bottom line is, I just want to live for the audience of one. That should be our motivation as Christians. I'm not primarily living for any big audience. I'm living for the audience of one. I just want God to be pleased with the way I have lived my life and how I have lived my life. And if He's okay with it, then we're good. And you think about it. How many even Christians get so twisted in their Christian life because they're trying to please all these people more than they try to please God. 
And God says, if you would seek first my kingdom and you would seek to please me first, then you wouldn't be running around trying to please all these other people. Because first of all, we can't please everybody anyway. And if we seek to live that way, it's only going to exhaust us. I'll end with these verses. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul sums it up very nicely here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. By the way, I hope you'll come back next week. We got three more weeks. And next week we're going to talk about a very interesting subject. That God is God alone through faith. What do we mean by that? Well, let me say this. I'll I'll give a little commercial here. Living by faith is letting God be God. And sometimes we have a hard time with that. Because again, why? We want to be in control. We want to lead rather than letting God lead. And high altitude faith is that even when it doesn't make sense, God, you're God, and I'm not. So, I'm going to yield to you. 1 Corinthians 4, look at verses 3, 4, and 5. Paul said, so for me, it is a minor matter that I am judged by you or by any human court. In fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. Because let's face it, We're not very good judges of ourselves. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not acquitted because of this either. In other words, I'm a faulty, sinful human being. I'm not going to be an accurate, just judge. Notice what the next phrase is. The one who judges me is the Lord. So then... He tells the Corinthians, do not judge anything before the time. What time? The time of judgment. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the motives of hearts. Then each one will receive recognition from God. That's what ultimately matters, Paul said. Not the recognition we get from men, but the recognition one day and the honor and the rewards that one day we will get from God. Is it unspiritual to seek honor and glory? I don't believe it is. As long as we are seeking that honor and glory from God alone. That we are truly living for the audience of one. You see, the Babylonians, like many world empires and rulers down through history, and even people today that live on planet Earth, they're seeking honor. You know, they're seeking to be famous. They're seeking to be stars and recognized and, and have everybody just swoon and be impressed by, you know, everybody's impressed. But what about God? Is God impressed? You know? Is God up there in heaven going, oh man, that's, wow. I mean. And here's the thing. 
I think God actually does get impressed by his saints. Go to the book of Job. God's bragging on Job to Satan. Hey, Satan, check out this guy. He's, he's one of my best. And of course, that's when Satan goes, yeah, well, that's because nothing bad ever happens to him. You see. But God was bragging on Job. God wants to honor his people. He does. He wants to exalt. He wants to elevate. Why? Because to do that means that he's actually then again drawing people to him. Because again, that if we're seeking honor from him, that means then we're living for his glory. And guess who they're going to see in us and in our church? They're not going to see us, they're going to see the God behind us and the God in us and the God through us. And so that's a continuation of high altitude faith. True accomplishment in life comes by faith alone and true honor in life comes by faith alone. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being such an amazing God. You are the Lord of hosts. There is nothing, Lord, in this universe that you can't use to accomplish your purpose and your will. Again, from the smallest particle to the largest star or planet in the universe, you can use it all. And yet, God, as we're going to even see in the weeks to come, you are brighter in your person and in your glory than all the stars put together. One day, the book of Revelation says, there will be no need of sun or moon or stars anymore because you, God, alone will be the light of the universe and you will light it up with your glory and with your splendor and with your majesty. God, we, we can't even begin to fathom and wrap our minds around how glorious you are. And yet one day we're going to have the privilege of standing in your presence and meeting you face to face. And God, I just pray that all of us would have that burning desire in our hearts to live on this earth for the audience of one. To live in such a way, God, that when we stand before you, we can hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over these things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over all these other things. God, thank you for the privilege of serving you. There is no greater title or description, or characterization, God, we could give to our own lives and to say, we are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's as good as it gets. And so, God, I pray tonight that we have been sort of reignited and re-inspired to accomplish something with our life. And to be honored by you. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.